Rodgers scrambles he's left, winds up, runs the left. He's got time at the 10 to the 5, yes. to the end zone. Touchdown, and a dagger. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning, fading shot. Up, gone for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Brewer fans, welcome to the Brewers Trilogy podcast presented by the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy, the podcast for not only them diehard baseball fans, but also for those fans who enjoy cheering for a team that revolves around beer. I'm Tyler, aka T Plush, your host for the show. I'm a contributor for reviewing the brew for Fansided and one of the founders of the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy podcast, where we tweet a lot about the Bucks, Brewers, Packers, and also podcast about them. <laughs> I skipped a step there. So uh, the podcast can be found on Twitter at Trilogy underscore pod if you followed that uh, mumble I just said there. But I am joined with one of the other co-founders, Trevor, a.k.a. Sunshine Bender, who hosts the Packers Trilogy podcast. And we're here today to talk some Brewers baseball. The winter meetings have wrapped up. The rumors are hot. And we got a lot of talk, a lot to talk about. So, Trevor, how are you doing on this day? I'm doing pretty good. You know, I I can't have much to complain about. It's Thursday, December 12th. Hashtag Aaron Rodgers Day. I am done with work for the week. I have a work Christmas party tomorrow, though, that should be lots of fun. And I am currently sipping a delicious beverage, so it's been pretty great. You're not going to tell me what beverage this is? I'm in suspense. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I will. So it's from Founders in Michigan, and it is called The Dirty Bastard. (laughs) Is that not awesome? (laughs) That's a great name for a beer. (laughs) Yeah, it's a it's a Scotch ale. So I figured on Aaron Rodgers' day, I have to drink something Scotch related. So I decided on a Scotch ale. That's some dedication right there. I'm proud of you. That's <laughs> I'm not going to those extremes. <laughs> it's actually pretty good. I I actually think you might like it. I know you're not a big fan of dark beer, but it's got some hoppy character that you might like because I know you love your IPAs. That's true. I'm I'm sipping my last day glow right now. So. I'm going to be out after today. All right. So as we speak, I'm sure a lot of brewer managers and whatnot are on their way back to Wisconsin. Uh, For the meetings are officially over today. The brewers remained relatively quiet. They obviously didn't acquire any of the big names in Strasburg, Rendon, and uh, Garrett Cole that unfortunately went over this winter meetings, but... We're going to spend the first half of this podcast at least focusing on the moves the Brewers made. Now, a few of them were made before the winter meetings, but it's worth touching on. The biggest splash the Brewers made was obviously with Josh Lindblom signing for three years, $9.1 million, max of 18 mil with incentives. So they signed him over from overseas. And what are your initial thoughts on him, Trevor? You like it or do you not like it? Well, first splash that's a bit aggressive for this signing i feel like i don't know how much of a splash signing this will be i think 
I do like it for what it is. I mean, at a minimum, it's three years, three mil a year. You can't complain about that. And Tyler kind of pointed out his stats on Twitter, and I was like, yeah, this is like comparing an NFL quarterback to a CFL quarterback because he was playing in Korea. But there was one guy that we signed from Korea that ended up being pretty damn good in the major league. So I have my hopes up. I think he could be a decent addition to the team. And I think he could be very helpful. So I'm excited to see what's going to happen with him. Um, I'm just not holding my breath for like top of the rotation type of stuff. But I would be happy if we get, you know, number four, number five starter and feel pretty good about throwing him out there every five days. Next, he's coming off really two tremendous seasons from overseas he last year in 2019 won the equivocal of MVP and Cy Young over there and his stats over the last two years are astonishing I mean he pitched 360 innings 67 walks which is just incredible that's very low 346 strikeouts 2.68 ERA 1.04 whip so that's obviously all pretty good. And Trevor mentioned I was comparing him <laughs> to some MLB players. And I brought up Clayton Kershaw because I thought the numbers were kind of interesting. And at least overseas-wise, Lindblom outperformed Kershaw, which is not going to happen in the MLB, obviously. And some, some smart people on Twitter, I know Bruce Math retweeted some some projection of what they expect Lindblom to be. And they're predicting like a low to mid fours ERA throughout, you know, the three year signing that he has. So, I mean, that that's kind of around right what Trevor was saying, you know, that fourth, fifth ish starter range. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how that transition goes for him. He's not like a, a super overpowering pitch. He's got a low to mid nineties fastball throws, mixes that in with a cutter quite regularly. And then he's just got a splitter that drops off the table. So using those three pitches, are he's pretty effective, and he likes to mix up his timing, at least coming out of the stretch and out of the windup, so keeping hitters off balance. And, I mean, I think he's got all the tools to succeed, and he's definitely gained confidence. And like you said, I mean, the Brewers have been successful from signing players over there. You mentioned Eric Thames already. We got Jay Jackson last year in a similar fashion. Obviously, he's not returning, and it didn't have as big of a payoff. But either way, it's still low risk. And if it pans out even better, like <laughs> that, that's a win for the Brewers. Yeah, and obviously, if it pans out, we're going to be paying him more than three mil a year. But like you said, it's pretty low risk for three mil. I'm sure they can get out of it fairly reasonably if it just is terrible through a year or two. I'm sure they can get out of the last year if they need to. Don't don't look up his previous MLB experience because it's not good. He's bounced around like the Dodgers, Pirates, a few other teams, been a starter and a reliever. So those those stats aren't good. So just focus on the last two years he's done over in Korea and, and gaining confidence. I think that's what we have to go go in with the expectation that this is a confident guy who's gonna hopefully lock down the mid to low or low end of this rotation for us next year. That kind of sounds like Eric Thames again, doesn't he? Like, he kind of bounced around the league. He couldn't really get a grip in the MLB. Goes over to Korea. Basically becomes a legend in Korea. 
they made a whole walk-up song for him, and then he leaves, and he's very effective in the majors. So uh, if we get the same contribution from him, this is this is a very good signing from Stearns. Yep, and Thames was the 2015 MVP over in Korea. So, I mean, we have we have that going for us. We got two. If they bring Eric Thames back, big if we would have two Korean MVPs and then two MLB or NL, excuse me, MVPs and Brahan and Yelich on the team. So. That's kind of exciting to think about four MVPs in a way. So we'll bring up your most favorite relief pitcher next. The Brewers brought back Alex Claudio about a week after they decided, hey, we're not going to offer you a contract or take you to arbitration. So they signed him for less. <laughs> signed him for one year, 1.7 mil. There is incentives with that contract. I can't remember exactly how high it goes, but... A year after he was the sixth most used relief pitcher in the MLB, we signed him for less. It's brilliant move by David Stearns, and I know Trevor. I don't, I don't think you like it, but elaborate on me what you think so far of that move. <laughs> Do you have any factual evidence to back up that? You know. I, I see a lot of very smart people on Twitter saying they love the signing, and I I, I just don't. I don't. The MLB is changing, you know, with the three batter minimum. Lefty specialists are out, and Claudio, Claudio was not good at getting right-handed hitters out. So I just, I mean, for the money, for the deal, it I think it makes some sense, but it I am not too excited to have him back with this new rule that, I am almost positive it's coming to effect this year. So I just, I, I don't know. I, I don't see it being very useful considering his whole career has been consisting of getting left-handed hitters out, and now he's got to try to deal with this new rule where he's going to have to get righties out. And, yeah, they used him a lot last year, but he wasn't very good at getting righties out. Yeah, so the rule is confirmed. It is definitely in effect. It was confirmed over winter meetings. And then, you know, I my backup to, like, that argument with Claudio and lefty specialists, because, yeah, he's, he did struggle more against righties, especially in terms of slugging and give power numbers from righties against him. It, it's a crazy leap. So, but it's important to remember that if Claudio comes in with two outs in the inning and he records the last out, then he doesn't have to start the next inning, even if he only faced one batter. So... That's one positive to take out of it. And then, you know, I dug deeper into some more reasons of why we should get excited for bringing him back. And I was able to dig up that actually last year he was in the top 2% of the league in lowest exit velocity allowed for opposing batters. So that was quite incredible. And then I'm like, okay, well, why didn't he have as successful as a season? Because he was in the high twos, mid twos ERAs when he was with the Rangers. And really it kind of came down to his to the amount of walks. He allowed nine, 9% walks in at-bats last year, whereas when he was very successful with Texas, it was down to the 4% range. So, I mean, obviously with a low-velocity pitcher, that's important. But the fact that he's not allowing batters to still barrel him up or at least lefties anyway um, has to give me some hope for 2020 and that he can maybe return and just be a little bit better than he was last year other uh, non very exciting news the brewers claimed infielder ronnie rodriguez off waivers from detroit so he's not actively on the 40-man roster at this point trevor what do you know about this guy and do you have any thoughts on him 
<laughs> but I'm being honest, I oh no, absolutely nothing. So I have no thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> so he he's an interesting guy. He can play pretty much anywhere in the infields: first base, third base, uh, second base, wherever you want him to play, and he's serviceable there. In terms of batting average, he's pretty pretty low. It's kind of in the mid to low 200s. But he did see a big increase in his power and slugging percentages last year. So, I mean, in limited opportunities, he was hitting more home runs. And that obviously resulted in more doubles as well. He was making a heck of a lot better contact than he had in years previous. And it was a lot of loud contact. So he was up near the 40% of his hits were in what they call the hard hit range, where the MLB averages down in the low 30s. And and he just got real aggressive at the plate last year, swinging at 55% of pitches, whereas the MLB average is down in the mid-40s. So he may not be making contact all the time, but he's it's kind of against the trend of what the Brewers do. They usually want to work pitchers deep into counts and try and get a walk, and he's the opposite. He's just, I'm going to come out here, not necessarily a super free swinger like you think Javier Baez type, but... He'll be aggressive and definitely he's not afraid to swing at usually that first pitch, which could sometimes be the best pitch you see in an at-bat. I mean, that's what I was always taught growing up is the first pitch is typically the best one. At least the first strike is the best strike you're going to see. I firmly believe that, and sometimes it makes me upset when brewers don't swing the bat until there's two strikes on them. But I, I do think... It sounds like, to me, he's really kind of just engrossed himself in this whole launch angle revolution thing, and I, I'm i sure some of those juiced balls has something to do with his power uptick as well, but sounds like he's doing what the analytics tell him to do, and that's just go out there and swing hard and, you know, get that launch angle and hope for the best, and Obviously, you said he's not a great average hitter, but if he comes in and even if he bats 225, 235, but he hits 15 to 20 home runs and limited opportunities, like that's going to be a win for you. So we'll see if he even makes an impact on this team. But I think the it could there could be a potential there with being in Miller Park. I think that will help him as well. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of impact he will have. Yeah, and he did hit 14 home runs last year in just over 250 at-bats. So depending on what this roster looks like, close to 20 home runs wouldn't be out of the question. Um, it's just a matter of if he's actually going to be on the MLB team or not. So we'll see with that. Brewers also brought back supposedly, you know, what a lot of people are excited about in a, in a return of Keon Broxton. Uh, I'm personally not a huge fan of bringing him back, even though it's just an invite to the big league club. And this this got a lot of Brewer fans talking about, oh, well, now we can trade Lorenzo Cain and just have Keon Broxton be our center fielder. Oh, hell no. <laughs> I 100% agree with that. I mean, why on earth would you want a, like, 200 average hitter for his career <laughs> starting every day in center field. Uh, I get the logic of Lorenzo Kane is aging and had a down year last year, but oh, I mean, Broxton, he's just struggled since leaving the Brewers. He played for three different teams last year, hit 174 in 2019, struck out 45% of the time. 
<laughs> I mean, his career strikeout rate is 38%. So, like, 45 isn't too crazy by any means. I mean, it's just, I don't understand that logic. I get it, he's a great defender, and you probably wouldn't lose much, if anything, in that regard. But just the fact that you'd want Kian Broxton as your everyday starter just baffles my mind. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely disagree with people being like oh we can trade low Kane now hell the fuck no <laughs> low Kane is a fucking gold glover and i keon is very good defensively and i think defensively he might have that capability of winning a gold glove but teams just can't afford to have him out on the field all the time so he's not going to do that because he is terrible at the plate like, you think Orlando Arcia is bad. He is not any better. His best season was back in 2016 with the Brewers. He had 242 batting average. His best season was 242. So you cannot tell me that you can just assume that he's going to be able to take the mantle and just run with it and be an everyday starter because I think that if you're going to go that route, you might as well have Braun start in left field every day and Ben Gamble start every day in center field. And then if and when Braun gets hurt and can't play, then you put Keon out there somewhere, probably in center. I don't know. I, I do not like that part of it, but I think giving him another opportunity, see if he can figure it out over the offseason, see if he can get down closer to below hopefully below his career average for strikeout percentage maybe you know 30 percent would be huge for him I think so trying to figure that out and if he can figure that out and just put the bat on the ball a little bit more I think he could be fairly effective but we haven't seen that yet and I don't think we should be hoping for him to be that type of player uh with the Brewers and just completely get rid of other players because of it because we haven't seen him be able to be an effective MLB player at the plate. Yeah, that, that's a good point because, I mean, it's just an invite to big league camp, so there's no commitment there. You can always try and sneak him on to the roster with the missions and kind of stash him throughout the season if you wanted because, I mean, if you listen to the intro of this podcast, he did catch the game-winning fly ball against the Cubs for the division, so <laughs> we did use him in that regard. But although not having the uh, expanded rosters in September this year will probably hamper that. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. It, if he figures it out and has a good year in AAA, sure, that, that'd be a good guy to have stashed down there if he's having a good offensive season. Speaking of guys who have been stashed, the Brewers have re-signed Corey Knebel. He obviously didn't pitch for the Brewers last year due to Tommy John surgery, but because he's still one of those arbitration guys, the Brewers actually struck a deal with him, signing him. It is confirmed he's not expected to be ready for opening day. It'll probably be mid to late April, which was around, of course, the time he had the surgery actually performed. So, I mean, you're still not missing out on a lot of them. You know, 30 games, probably a little bit less than that, but... Good signing by the Brewers, you think, Trevor? Oh, hell yeah. Yep. I don't think there should be much argument there. You, I mean, you never really know with coming back from Tommy Johns how he's going to be able to perform, if he's going to be able to get his velocity back up there. But, you know, I think I think the Brewers had to take a shot on him because I, I really think this bullpen needs him. 
So I think they had to do it, and it makes a lot of sense that they did it. Pitchers coming back from Tommy John is a lot different than like Jimmy Nelson, who's coming back from a repaired labrum. It's it's actually surprising you're more su- you're more successful returning to your old self after Tommy John than what Jimmy Nelson went through. So I don't think fans should have much to panic about in that regard. His velocity should should be back up, and I don't anticipate it being an issue, at least based off previous trends throughout players. Hopefully he returns to like you know that high 13-14k per nine ratio that he's had in 2017-2018 when he's been phenomenal for the Brewers in the bullpen. Other news, I'll just quick rattle off a few things here, Trevor, and you can you can pick and choose where you want to go with this next topic. But Rule Five draft was today on Aaron Rodgers Day, 12-12. Brewers don't lose they don't lose Zach Brown. They lost a few AAA, a few AA players. Um, Nobody who was within the top 30 prospects, though. So a big win there for the Brewers. They also don't draft anyone. And then confirmed rumors throughout winter meetings was that the Brewers were interested in Angels outfielder Cole Calhoun and that they were interested in obviously bringing back Eric Thames, who we mentioned briefly. Yeah, I think not losing Zach Brown is, is a good thing for the Brewers. Like you said, not losing any in the top 30. That's a that's a pretty good thing. That's a little bit exciting, but hell yes. Bring me back some ET. I know they denied the club option, but I think they believed they could bring him back and he would want to come back. And I think they believe they could do that for under six and a half million because they had to pay him a $1 million signing or release bonus, whatever that's called. They had to pay him that or one mil. And now they... I believe Stearns thinks he can get him for under 6.5 which getting him less than that 7.5 number total money I think is going to be awesome and a huge 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 win for the Brewers I would be disappointed if he's not back in Milwaukee I I think he could be an absolute asset in the 2020 season and this isn't that long after I think in you know mid-August I was like eh I don't really want to spend that much money on him. I'd rather save it for other players. Now, I didn't realize how much Stern was going to cut in terms of the money. I thought for sure he'd bring back one of Yaz or Moose, but he didn't do that. So now I am all on the Eric Thames bandwagon, especially if you can get him for five to six mil. I think that would be a huge, huge, huge win for the Brewers. Yeah, one million buyout was the term you're looking for, by the way. Yep. <laughs> so- that was that was too hard of a word. I'm I can't English right now. <laughs> that dirty bastard's getting to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, it's interesting. I didn't hear any rumors throughout winter meetings about any clubs interested in Eric Thames. So, you know, I know it's still early in the off season, and you know some. Some former MLB players are off variety, you know, signing overseas and whatnot. And, you know, it's just like the fact, like, I, I think the Brewers should do it. And, you know, for the money that you mentioned already, and I don't see a reason why they, they should wait. I mean, the first base market isn't too impressive out there unless you're going to trade for someone. But I think it just makes sense to bring Eric Thames back, even if it's even if it's just another one year deal that, you know, if he is really interested in more money, then he's just got to prove it deal uh, with the Brewers this year, which would be kind of cool. As for uh, Cole Calhoun, 
I'm not too very high on him. I know he's an outfielder, so my my initial thought was, okay, well, could the Brewers switch him to first base? And yeah, the answer is probably not. He he did play some first base primarily in the minors, so thinking all the way back to 2014 uh, was when he played the most amount of first base. He's played 44 MLB innings at first, and that was in 2015, and hasn't played it since. Offensively, he really had a breakout year in 2019, hit 33 home runs. And then just overall throughout his career, he's been a pretty successful slugging and OPS guy. He's only failed to record a slugging percentage over 400 twice since 2014. Excuse me, I misspoke. The OPS numbers are generally a little bit lower with him because his batting average hovers around like the 250 range. Uh, but then he does draw a lot of walks. So he drew 70 walks last year. And then, you know, add that in with his 30-some home runs last year. That was obviously a pretty good OPS. But throughout his career, it has been a little bit lower just because his power numbers in the home run categories weren't that high. But his average will fluctuate. Like, he never just really hits 250 on a year. It's either um, closer to 280 or more down to 230. <laughs> so kind of interesting there. And I, I just really don't really think the Brewers have a shot at him. He expressed interest in staying in the American League, I'd assume, for so he can play maybe play some DH as he gets a little bit older. And, you know, in terms of a package to get him, you're, you're probably going to have to give up a couple good prospects or, you know, an MLB contributor already plus another prospect to get him. And well, it just doesn't sound very enticing to me anyway. Other moves the Brewers did not make uh, was Jordan Lyles going to the Rangers for two years, 16 mil, and then Junior Guerra going to the Diamondbacks. Mad, upset, pissed off at any of these moves, Trevor? Or what do you think? I'm more upset about the Lyles move, but also 8 mil a year seems a bit steep for Jordan Lyles. I think that's they kind of overpaid for him, I feel like. Junior Guerra, I know... There's a lot of Brewer fans that love him, and I feel like you're one of them, Tyler, but I just, I was okay with this. I know you were a little bit more upset, but I I didn't mind it. Yeah, I was on the, the Junior Garrett train. He, I can't remember what his exact contract was with the Diamondbacks, but it, it wasn't anything significant, so it kind of felt like the Brewers definitely could have brought him back for pretty cheap, but they just decided to move on. And yeah, you nailed the Lyles deal right on the head, that eight mil a year for Jordan Lyles is just absurd for a guy who has had one good half of baseball throughout his career so far. And I mean, that was primarily due to Yasmani Grandal working his butt off with him. And, you know, maybe the, the adrenaline of being in a division race helped too, but I think I, I get the whole Grandal helped him a lot. And I think that is a hundred percent accurate, but when whenever I hear people talk about this, they talk like Grandal did ninety five percent of the work. Jordan Lyles still has to go out there and throw the baseball down in good spots, have good movement, and all of that stuff. Still, like he still does ninety five percent of the work. I get Grandal helped him, but don't tell me Yasmani Grandal did everything for Jordan Lyles. Jordan Lyles still put in the work. He still pitched extremely well. And I think you need to put that more on Jordan Lyles than anything. But I think you're also right in the fact that he hasn't been able to put it together any other time outside of the last half of this most recent year. So I do think the eight mil is too much, but by all accounts, he seems like a great guy and he's in the AL. So, you know, go tear it up. 
I hope he makes it seem like a great signing for them because I hope he does well. Yeah, I do too. And it's kind of funny, like a couple of years ago when we lost Wade Miley, like Wade Miley, I thought was, I still think is probably a better pitcher than Jordan Lyles. And he didn't get anywhere near the deal that uh, Jordan Lyles has right now. So speaking of which, Wade Miley is a free agent this year, so he could be brought back. I was going to say, isn't he available? <laughs> he is. <laughs> um, so hey, that that's a topic for another time. I haven't heard any rumors for the Brewers are linked to him, but uh, obviously it's a possibility. Other moves around the MLB I just wanted to touch on, in specific to guys who we've talked about on this podcast. Obviously mentioned Garrett Cole, Strasburg, and Rendon are gone. Donaldson, as we speak, is still out there. Doesn't sound like he's going to get at least the years, like seven plus years like these other guys got, but probably around the three or four year range just because of his age and probably still north of 20 mil a year. Um, But other guys we mentioned on the podcast, Tanner Roark ended up signing with the Blue Jays two years, 12 million. Michael Waka signed with the Mets one year for 3 million. He can make up to 10 million based on incentives. Didi Gregorius went to the Phillies, and then Blake Trinan went to the Dodgers for one year and $10 million. Okay, so first off, it sucks not getting Garrett Cole. I, I really wanted him, but if you look at that contract, <laughs> there is not a fucking chance the Milwaukee Brewers were getting him. And I think the same goes for Steven Strasburg and Anthony Rendon, that it just wasn't going to happen. The Brewers don't have the pocketbooks to be able to do that. Donaldson, it'll be interesting to see what he gets. I think he. I think if he's in the 25 to 30 range, maybe... But if he's in the 30 to 35, like uh, Strasburg, Rendon, and those guys, I I don't think the Brewers stand a chance. Roark, I was a little upset about, uh, especially for six mil. I feel like that would have been a good price for the Brewers and a good pitcher to have. Michael Walker, this one, for three mil, I was like, why didn't the Brewers go out and get him? And yeah, he could w- get up to 10 million, but if he gets his 10 million, that means he's pitching extremely well. So... That one I was probably the most upset about. DD, nah, whatever. I mean, you go and trade, you get rid of one of your up and coming prospects in Trent Grissom for a shortstop prospect that you're hoping figures it out. And I, I just don't understand the point of the Brewers being in talks with him because I thought it was rumored that they might go after him, but I didn't really understand that. And then Blake Trinan was a little bit upset about, but 10 mil is a lot for a guy who basically just figured it out this past year. Like before that, his numbers were nowhere near that good. It could be a home run for the Dodgers. It could also, he could go back to his old self and not be nearly as good as he was this past year. But like like I said, I think the biggest one that hurts me the most is Michael Waka for three mil for minimum and then also the next closest is Tanner Roark, I think. You were a little backwards on the Trinan. He was a little bit down this year in 2019. 2018 oh, was 2018. when he had like the .75 ERA or whatever ridiculous <laughs> number like that. But, uh, I mean, it's the Dodgers, though, so the Dodgers can afford to, to give him 10 mil, even though I'm pretty sure that's an arbitration. <laughs> He's still in arbitration, so it's just insane. Michael Waka, yeah, I'm I'm kind of mad about that one too. The part that makes me even more mad is because it's for one year, Waka's going to hit the free agent market again next year at 29 years old. And if he pitches well, you know for goddamn sure he isn't taking anything less than 10 mil, <laughs> depending on how he pitches. 
If he pitches up to that 10 mil number, he is going to be asking for four years, 55 million or something. I, I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> and and that might, like, if he pitches that well to get all those incentives, I think that could very well be a low ball offer for him next year because he is going to want the money if he pitches extremely well. And I just, I don't get why the Brewers didn't take a chance on him. I, I thought that would, that would have been an absolute home run of a signing and I would have loved it. It's no Garrett Cole, but I, I would have absolutely loved that signing for one year, three mil. There is absolutely zero risk, in my opinion, with that with that contract. Yeah, I'm kind of impressed the Mets even came up with that deal because normally they just throw around money. So uh, kudos, Mets. You finally did something Fuck smart. Fuck New York, by <laughs> the way. Fuck New York for always. Uh, okay, little bit of a rant session here. Why does the MLB not have a salary cap because it's so fucking stupid that the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, it literally makes it really fucking hard for Milwaukee to get anywhere close. And they were very, very close. Obviously not this past year, the year before game seven of the NLCS. And I get, we have Christian Yelich, but it is going to be hard as shit to get back there from Milwaukee. And, of course, the fucking Mets, who suck ass all the time, of course they go and get this guy for a Milwaukee-level contract when why the fuck didn't the Brewers do it? Ah, <laughs> I'm still kind of catching up on the history of, of why there isn't a salary cap in the MLB, but... From from what I know, I think the last time it was seriously considered, there ended up not being a World Series, <clears throat> which was 1994, the year we were born. So <laughs> uh, there's obviously more reasons behind that, but I, I'm not an expert on that topic. So maybe we'll bring someone in to, to discuss it with you and you can shout in frustration at them and then they can shut you down for why why it should stay the same. <laughs> Uh, I'm off off topic now. (laughs) Let's let's move into some general MLB rumors. So the Brewers are by no means linked to any of these. And by no means, I mean, they aren't. But it's kind of fun for us fans to discuss. And that's the fact that there are some some good quality players who are available by their respective clubs for trade. And that is Chris Bryant, Nolan Arenado, David Price, Carlos Correa, Caleb Smith, the lefty from the Marlins, and then Tyler Boyd, or Matthew Boyd, excuse me, the lefty from Detroit. So Trevor, do you have any interest in any of these guys, or have you heard any any rumors on them at all? I'm just going to go down the line. Chris Bryant, hell yeah. Arenado, hell yeah. David Price, probs. Carlos Correa, hell yeah. Caleb Smith, I don't know who he is. Tyler Boyd, I don't know who he is. Yeah, if, if they're, and I'm saying hell yes and yes, if the price isn't too outrageous. Now, all of these players are pretty fucking good. So I feel like the prices are going to be a little bit steep. But overall, if if it's not giving up the farm, if it's not giving up Hyera, like those types of players, and it's not too much, I think it's worth trying to see if they're gettable. But right now i think the focus needs to be on some of those free agents that are still out there and if something like a trade with the rockies for nolan arenado i think that would be an absolute home run as long as we're not giving up uh, literally the one of the worst farm systems in the league (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, all these are interesting. Like Chris Bryant struggled with injuries the last couple of years and has been nowhere near itself since what was that 2017 when he was the MVP. Is his numbers have been straight poop since then. So I mean, could you get him for? You know, at least out of these guys, minus Caleb Smith and Matthew Boyd, the the least give up the least amount. Maybe, sure, but uh, I don't know. I'm I'm not a Chris Bryant fan. In all honesty, I'm just gonna skip past him. Nolan Arenado, yeah, you're you're giving up the farm for him, and he does have a no trade clause too. So even if you did get something uh, constructed, he could always just veto it, and that would just kind of be deflating but you're giving up a lot for him. David Price, I think, is interesting. The, the Sox are supposedly looking to shred salary, which is why there have been rumors of Price leaving. Uh, Mookie Betts, obviously, from there as well, who we didn't mention. But Price has three years left on his deal. He's still guaranteed $96 million, so you'd be paying him 32 mil a year. Uh, so, no. Nope. Oh, never mind. Nope. Yep. Nope. Brewer's not doing that. Carlos Correa is is super fun to think about. So he's still a guy who is in that arbitration range. So he's estimated to make 7.4 mil next year. Obviously, that could change if a team reaches an agreement with him. He's kind of battled injuries on and off the last couple of years, but he's still been very productive when he's in, averaging around 20-ish home runs. He's a career 279 hitter. And the early indications are if you want Carlos Correa, you have to give up two to three proven MLB contributors already plus prospects. So uh, that's a pretty high asking price. And yeah, it would be cool to have that great of a shortstop, but it's, it's not looking very likely. Is Orlando Arcia considered a proven MLB player? (laughs) He's proved some things. (laughs) (laughs) He's a good defensive player. That's true. I mean, rumor is the Astros are looking obviously to shred the salary so they can go out and replace Garrett Cole somehow, which is obviously not possible, but they want to focus yeah. on pitching. <laughs> so, I don't know. The, the Astros have a lot of free agents starting next year already. I know George Springer is one, and I think there was a couple others, so I can't remember off the top of my head, but... Uh, it doesn't. I don't think it makes sense for them to trade Korea this year. You still have a little bit of a contention window with with their core, so it do, I'd keep him if I was the Astros. <laughs> yeah, losing Garrett Cole though makes it pretty hard. Yeah, well, he wasn't enough this year somehow. So, <laughs> <laughs> dude, <laughs> if they lose Garrett Cole, I don't care if he wasn't enough this year. They lose Garrett Cole, I don't. I don't think there's much, if any, of a window left for them. No, nah, they they still. I mean, they still have Zach Granke, Verlander. But with Garrett Cole, it wasn't enough. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I think they declined the option on on Sanchez, Annabelle Sanchez, if I remember correctly. I'd have to double check into that one. But uh, yeah, no. And then the last guys I mentioned, Caleb Smith of the Marlins and Matthew Boyd. They're two lefty starters who I don't. Matthew Boyd was highly regarded to get traded during the trade deadline and the Tigers just wanted way too much was their indication. So I'd assume nothing's really changed. I mean, for two guys who have ERAs above four and are lefties, like we already got Lauer this year and that's probably what we're going to expect out of him. So making a trade for either one of those two just doesn't make sense. Any other topics you want to touch on at all today, Trevor, before we wrap her up? Yeah. I mentioned it on Twitter. I think I quote tweeted, was it Ken Rosenthal maybe? 
Uh, he was talking about Scott Boris's ridiculous players that he's got under his wing as an agent um, and what players have are left for him. And I just got this weird like feeling, and they could be completely off base, but I think, I just have a feeling, Dallas Keuchel is going to be a Milwaukee Brewer next year. I was just getting a little bit excited about Garrett Cole. I didn't actually think there was a possibility we did it, but for some reason, I think this is a legit possibility. Uh, you know, career 367 ERA guy. He was a 375 this past year, you know, a little bit higher whip than his career average. He's getting he's getting up there, but he's 31, almost 32. So he is getting up there, but I do feel like it it wouldn't be a terrible idea to give him a couple years, and I think it could be very effective, and it's it's worth a shot, I think, because the Brewers need someone to come in and stabilize this rotation, and I think he could be an absolute home run in that regard. It definitely could. I mean, after after Woody, you'd probably put him, you know, if you had to rank your starters, number two most likely. And then depending on who the other starters are, Keuchel's a lefty. You'll have Lauer, who's projected to be a lefty or projected to be a starter and a lefty. If Suter starts, that's another lefty. That the Brewers, that's like unheard of for them in recent years. So it's like, huh. Yeah. I, I get Woody's up and coming, but do you really think Keiko wouldn't get the number one over Woody? Well, if we're going to bring up the opening day curse, you should just put Keiko in so Woody stays good. <laughs> no, if we're bringing up the opening day curse, we fucking sign me off the street, let me throw for an inning and give up 13 runs and then just throw me to the street. I don't care. <laughs> but no, I, I would absolutely believe that Brandon Woodruff would be rated above Dallas Keuchel. I mean, Keuchel doesn't have the velocity anymore. Yeah, he's still pretty damn good effective pitcher. But, I mean, you saw what Brandon Woodruff did in that wild card game coming off the injury and even before that, how big of a role he was on. If he stays healthy... He's going to put together a monster year in 2020, and I cannot wait. He's he's going to take the league by storm. You you know you know my love for Brandon Woodruff. It is it is one of my deepest deepest Brewer loves. Outside of Christian Yelich, I don't have a deeper Brewer love than Brandon Woodruff. I absolutely love this kid, and I just looking at the stats, it, it Brandon Woodruff did have a considerably better year than. Dallas Keuchel so Woodruff was a 3.62 ERA Keuchel 3.75 games that they each pitched they both started or Keuchel started 19 Woody started 22 pretty similar in terms of innings pitched uh Woody had nine and two uh he had nine more innings than Dallas Keuchel but in those nine innings he was able to strike out a ridiculous an absolutely ridiculous 52 more batters he had a better whip like I already said he had a better ERA baseball reference also has their war wins above replacement so the higher that number the better Brandon Woodruff had a war of 3.3 Keiko last year had a 2.0, so yes, Brandon Woodruff was definitely better. And I think if that's your one-two punch, and then you have Suter, Adrian Hauser, and 
say Eric Lawyer coming finishing up that rotation I think coming into the year that sounds pretty damn good to me oh yeah thanks for bringing that up because it was confirmed that the Brewers are planning on using Hauser as a starter next year uh David Stearns to reveal that so thanks for sparking my my memory on that you're welcome (laughs) all right I I love the starting pitching talk we'll we'll get into that especially as this offseason keeps rolling around I purposely did not mention all the Josh Hader rumors that happened over winter meetings and how the Mainly the Yankees, the Dodgers, and some other team, I don't remember the third team, are primarily interested in him, but that's going to be a podcast in itself, so hopefully we'll dive into that, at least the possibilities of it in the next coming weeks, and yeah, that's that's going to be it for today. Make sure you guys are checking out our other podcasts. We have the Packers Trilogy Podcast, Bucks Trilogy Podcast, you can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Uh, Google Play, Apple, wherever you find podcasts, you can find us. So hit subscribe and get all of our content at your earliest convenience. But until next time, we'll catch you later, Brew fans. Shout out Jonathan Taylor, who won the Doak Walker Award. And go Brewers, trust in Stern.